Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology and coaching to help you face adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists, and we will help you manage your mind, your emotions, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and this is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 21, Anxiety. How's your anxiety, Leah? My anxiety fluctuates, Heather. How's your anxiety? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like, um, yeah, this is an important topic. A lot of people have anxiety. I mean, anxiety is just a a normal feeling, but Mm -hmm. it can be, depending on where you fall on the spectrum, it can be pretty traumatic. That's exactly it. I don't think anybody can escape anxiety, um, but some people have much higher levels of anxiety than other people. And I would say that at different times in people's life, they'll have, I've had uh, more anxiety in certain times of my life than other times. And that's why it's such an important topic. And if you don't have anxiety, I can almost guarantee that somebody that you know and love is struggling with anxiety. It is such a widespread thing right now that within our arm's reach, we can find somebody who has anxiety and we can learn how to support them best. I love that. Okay, let's talk about it. What is anxiety? Well, Dr. David Barlow, he's a psychologist, he defined anxiety as a negative mood state that is accompanied by bodily symptoms such as increased muscle tension, a sense of unease and apprehension, um, all about the future. Right, because anxiety lives in the future for something that's not yet happened or it's about reliving something that has already happened. It can be really disruptive to our daily functioning. And it can also prevent us from processing difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. That's right. And anxiety, like any other feeling, is actually created by our thoughts. Uh, Sometimes we're aware of the thoughts that are driving our anxiety, and sometimes we're not. So how many times have you just said, like, I feel anxious, but you're not really clear about what happened or why? It's just another example of anxiety surfacing in the body first, and the awareness in our thoughts occurring afterwards. Now, anxiety is experienced differently by everyone and therefore can mean different things to different people. Anxiety is a normal reaction to a stressful situation. So on one end of the spectrum, you can have mild nervousness, and on the other end, you can have severe panic, as we mentioned just a moment ago. Mm -hmm. And like we said, anxiety is an emotion, but it also has a physical component, the stress component, which is the fight, flight, stress response. The brain gets alerted that you are under a threat by a thought that you're thinking in your mind, and that kicks off the sympathetic nervous system in a rush of stress hormones, adrenaline, and cortisol. You feel the emotion of anxiety and then your body goes into the fight or flight response and the chemistry of your blood has been altered with these stress hormones coursing through your veins. You have an immediate change in your breathing patterns. You know, it can be shallow breathing, fast breathing. Our body is getting ready to fight or flee. But because we do not have to fight or flee, well, usually, unless you're being chased by a tiger, then you're... (laughs) (laughs) Then your body's doing exactly what it should be doing. (laughs) 
and let's hope that doesn't happen. But we, right. we have no outlet for all of that energy. We can sometimes end up hyperventilating or feeling lightheaded, and other physical signs often happen too, including digestive reactions, like having to go to the washroom to empty bowels or be nauseous or whatever. Um, and the cardiovascular system can be impacted too with your heart beating rapidly and pounding. That's right. And many people feel anxiety in their body first without having an awareness of the thought. For example, you experience the sensation of your heart racing, your chest constricting, and then you think, oh my gosh, you have that thought. I think I forgot to turn the stove off when you're driving to work. So it's like working backwards from the vibrations in your body to the brain. Now, anxiety is a feeling and experiencing anxiety is just like any other feeling. That's part of being human. It's not all bad. It's helped us evolve by keeping us vigilant so that we can react quickly to a threat. However, it becomes a problem when we have the same response to a perceived but not an actual threat. So we've become overadapted in a way. Yeah, and I think just want to emphasize again that nothing has gone wrong with anxiety. Your body is doing everything it is supposed to do. It just does not feel great. Now, anxiety is often something that we fear. It's not a pleasant emotion. So often we try to avoid it. What we resist persists. If we do not take some time to look at our anxiety, to get to know it, to not fear it, it'll just amplify. We'll be scared of it and then it'll take over. So today I want to talk to you about some metaphors and analogies that are really helpful when dealing with anxiety. Yeah, so the first one, I like to think of anxiety like we want to make friends with it. Think of making a friend in general. You want to get to know them. You want to find out what they're like. Um, you get to know them by name. You get to know the emotion essentially. So you want to get to know anxiety. You want to name it to tame it. You want to know the characteristics. You want to feel these characteristics. This is what my anxiety looks like. This is how it shows up in me. These are the characteristics that my anxiety has. So it's kind of like you know, it'll come knocking at your door. Open the door, invite it in for a drink. Or will you ignore it and so until it's banging and then it's banging outside or will you try to push up against it to not let it in? It's so tiring holding that door closed. So welcome it. Oh, here you are again. Learn to accept that it's there. It can live with you in both anxiety and acceptance. It may overstay initially, but that's okay. You can allow it to stay. It does not have to be a permanent guest. And you can learn more about it as it does stay. You won't have such a strong desire to fight it. And when you stop fighting it, it loses its power and its interest. It's kind of like a tug of war. You know, you can finally put the rope down. That's right. So another analogy that I love when talking about anxiety is driving a car. I love driving the car. We always talk about monkey driving the car. But um, in our car, we can have many different passengers and anxiety can be one of those passengers. Now, when you are in a heightened state of anxiety, it's like anxiety is driving and anxiety is not somebody that we want driving because, you know, it doesn't feel good and we're not in the best state. It doesn't mean that we kick anxiety out of the car. We can just say, listen, anxiety, we're going for a ride. You can come along. You're going to be in the back seat, though. You're not going to be driving. You're coming with me, but you don't have to have a dominant role. Okay, and another analogy. I like this one, too. It's kind of like a backpack that you carry around. 
You can still go places with the backpack on, but you may have to stop and take a break and sometimes even set the bag down. Yeah, so in all those analogies, if you notice, you're not ever completely getting rid of anxiety. And I think that's an important point. You're getting, you're, you're having anxiety lose its power. And Russ Harris, he describes something that he liked to call the struggle switch. And the idea is that the more you struggle, so the more you resist and push up against things like anxiety, the worse your situation is going to get. So think of it like being in quicksand. And you see that in the movies, the more people struggle, the, the deeper and deeper you get into. So imagine at the back of your mind, there is a switch. And this is what he calls the struggle switch. When it is switched on, it means we're going to struggle against any kind of physical and emotional pain that comes our way. Whatever discomfort we experience, we'll see it as a problem and we'll try to get rid of it. So if our struggle switches on when we get anxiety, we will start to think like anxiety this is unacceptable we may get angry that there we have anxiety or we may get anxious about having the anxiety or we may feel guilt or shame because we have anxiety or all these things all together what all these secondary emotions have in common is that they're unpleasant and unhelpful and they are a complete drain on us and then we may get anxious and depressed about all that on top of everything yeah, so then you have that layered effect, right? That's right. So what happens if our struggle switch is off? Whatever emotion shows up, we don't struggle with it. You know, when anxiety comes in, we don't struggle. Sure, it's unpleasant, but we don't waste time struggling with it. And without that struggle, we get a natural level of physical and emotional discomfort. And we call this clean discomfort because once we start struggling, we call that dirty discomfort because you're adding on all these extra layers of emotions on top of the original anxiety so you can think of the struggle switch is like an emotional amplifier when it's on we can have anger about our anxiety anxiety about our anger depression about our depression guilt and shame about our guilt and shame and our anxiety and then we're also unwilling to accept the presence presence of the negative emotions so we get distressed and then we try to avoid and resist and it becomes this vicious cycle that keeps feeding itself over and over and over again. When the struggle switch is off, our emotions are free to move around. We don't waste time and energy fighting and avoiding the emotion and we don't generate all the dirty discomfort that follows. That's right. But when the struggle switches on, our emotions are stuck and we end up wasting time and energy struggling with them. And we create a lot of painful and a lot of what we call that dirty discomfort. So it's all about how you relate to anxiety. It's not the anxiety itself, but how you react to it. That's the problem. The more you resist it, avoid it or try and solve for it, the bigger it grows, the more energy you expend and the more it exacerbates the the original anxiety. If you can just let it be there, allow it, accept it and expect it as part of the process, this is how it reduces in strength. You tell yourself nothing's gone wrong here. It's not a big deal. Yeah, so the language that you use is very important. Not only does our language with or without awareness create anxiety, it also can reinforce and amplify it. So when we experience an uncomfortable vibration in our body, we look to our mind for an explanation and our mind will offer a thought that can keep us stuck in the cycle. So if our thought is this isn't good, it can make it even worse. This is never going to end. 
it can also make it even worse. The language that we use for so many things is so important. So these waves of vibrations in our body will actually only last about 90 seconds, according to Dr. Joan Rosenberg. The wave passes and then you have another thought and that can trigger another wave. But we don't wanna be amplifying all these waves by using language that sort of jacks us up and revs us up and keeps that anxiety in its heightened state. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about that a little later on in the podcast, the different language that we use and just to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. So before we jump into some things that you can do practically about anxiety, let's spend a few minutes talking about performance anxiety. And this was actually a question that one of our listeners emailed to us to ask. And they have to give a lot of presentations and they find that anxiety, it really interferes. And by the way, if you do have questions or want us to address something in particular, just let us know. We'd be happy to hear from you. We have um, a few podcasts that we're creating based on what some of our listeners are saying that they need help with. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Yeah, for sure. Do that. Um, Back to performance anxiety. Uh, It is actually also known as stage fright or situational anxiety. Um, And that is part of a larger umbrella of social anxiety, which a lot of people are challenged with. So it's common to experience performance anxiety before or during interviews or asking for a raise or first dates or breakups or public speaking, exams, presentations, auditions. There's so many times that we can be experiencing this kind of performance anxiety. And performance anxiety is something that can happen before or during the performance. I just wanted to, to repeat that because it is, it's, um, it's an important point. And there's also an audience factor. People who are there to judge and evaluate your performance. So there's three sort of different, it's when it, you experience it and it's also the who you're experiencing it with. Mm, that's interesting. So where does the anxiety or the fear or the doubt of the discomfort come from? Well, many people think it's worrying about what other people think about our performance, which is also known as the spotlight effect. What if we forget what we're going to say if we screw up or we don't explain things clearly? Or what if we have something in our teeth? Like we let our imagination run wild with all the negative thoughts and feelings and judgments and perceptions and beliefs that they could possibly have about our performance. So that ties back to the podcast that we talked about dealing with the mean girls and that inner critic. That inner critic sometimes assumes that it knows what other people are thinking. And that can cause us to have anxiety because we make assumptions that other people are thinking a certain thing. It's so true. And it's not about the audience at all. That's the best part. Mm -hmm. We think our perception is it's all about the audience and it's not. It's about our own beliefs and our own thoughts about our abilities and ourselves and our performance. All of the negative thoughts and the perceptions and the feelings that we imagine the audience to have about our performance, they started in our own mind first. (laughs) We just project them onto the audience. We anticipate the thoughts we will have before during and after the performance and that's what creates the anxiety i'm a failure i'm not good enough and we also anticipate the feelings that we might have like humiliation rejection embarrassment yeah and i think we're labeling this as performance anxiety but like like we said earlier it falls under that bigger umbrella of social anxiety and that's what a lot of social anxiety is right it's going into a situation where you are so busy thinking what you think other people think about you 
and that causes anxiety. And I think it's worth mentioning and reminding people that most people aren't thinking about you. You know, they really, they, they've got their own thoughts going on. But that is something that happens with social anxiety is fear of what other people think and the fear of the emotion of rejection. And, you know, those are all things that we don't want to feel. So we have anxiety instead. And also is important to think that sometimes with anxiety, it can come and go. It can be just situational. It can be chronic. So it's not something that is permanent. Once you have it, it doesn't mean you're going to have it forever. And if you don't have it now, it doesn't mean that you're never going to experience. It can fluctuate. Um, so I think it's important that we are reminded of that. And let's talk about some practical things that you can do about it now. Yeah. So when we first coach people, we always coach around the three pillars of your body, your mind and your heart, soul, whatever you want to call it. We are all one. We are all connected, but there are things that we can do in each area, especially when it comes to anxiety. That's right. Yeah. So there's lots of things that you can try out and see what strategies work well for you. So let's start with the body. And the first place we're going to start with the body is always with the breath. So when you become anxious, breathing is one of the first things that is going to be affected. Your brain has, is triggered, like we said, it's triggered the sympathetic nervous system with the fight or flight. Slowing your breath will trigger the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest system. So both systems cannot be working at the same time. So once we start consciously managing our breath, we will reverse the stress response. So breathing sends signals to the body that all is well and we can relax now. So the first place when you start to feel some anxiety, take a few deep breaths and practice some deep breathing throughout the day as well so you get used to doing it. Okay, another strategy for the body is relax. We've talked about this before and we refer to it as the wet noodle or like the rag doll. But basically, it's trying to do things to release the tension in your body. So some people refer to this as a body scan. And if it helps, you can contrast tensing certain muscle groups and then releasing just to feel the difference. Yeah, it's a really effective way to get rid of that muscle tension, which you, you have when you go into this anxious state. Another thing you can do is move. Now, some people want to move right away. I know that when I start to have anxiety, I may take a couple of breaths, but I sort of feel compelled <laughs> to get going. Yeah. And that's because your body is really getting ready to jump into action because of a lot of extra energy is happening. Instinctively, your body wants to move. So then you want to move. Go for a walk, go for a run, go biking or any kind of exercise where you can release the energy is ideal. It's a great idea to come up with a list of ways that you can get moving because sometimes when you're in the moment and you have to come up with, well, what should I do? It's hard to come up with ideas. So if you have a go-to list, like every time I feel this way, I'm going to do like 20 jumping jacks. I'm going to go for a run around the block. I'm going to dance around. Um, you don't have to come up with them. They're right there because you've already prepared these activities. Okay, so that is the body. Let's move on to the mind now. So you often have to deal with the body first. Get it to a calmer state so that you can access the mind. So when you are in the height of anxiety, sometimes you ever notice that like you can't think clearly. So calming the body is the first step. You don't have to get completely calm. 
And we talked a couple of weeks ago in the Facebook Live that sometimes it's actually best not to get calm, but to view anxiety as excitement that can fuel us. But we do have to get calm enough to access our cognitive skills to decide on what we want to think. So once we can think clearly again, then we can do a thought download. Anxiety is an emotion, and we know that emotions are generated by our thoughts. And it's important to remember that you are not your thoughts. So try sitting down and just dumping all of the thoughts out of your head. And don't worry about it making sense. Don't worry about grammar or punctuation. Just get everything out on a piece of paper. And while you don't really have to worry about things like grammar and punctuation and everything, I do want you to be mindful of the language that you're using because you want to recognize that there is certain anxiety-provoking language. So when we build awareness around the language in our brain that triggers anxiety, we can play with it and we can actually create some distance from it. So in Dr. Rosenberg's work in the book, Your 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, um, she talks about some anxiety Fusing strategies that really do involve carefully looking at the language that we use that will trigger, reinforce, or amplify our anxiety. And I want you to consider changing questions that trigger or reinforce anxiety into anxiety diffusing statements. So when you ask these anxiety provoking questions, your mind is gonna naturally search for an answer and that's often gonna be fueled by negativity. So these questions might sound like, can I pull this off? Do I have what it takes? Will I succeed? Am I enough? Okay, so when you change the questions into a declarative sentence, it can sound like I can pull it off. I do have what it takes. I will succeed and I am enough. Now it completely changes the energy and then self-empowerment and resourcefulness and confidence follows. So another quick strategy that Dr. Rosenberg taught was to talk to yourself by your first name. And it sounds a little weird this one, but it actually works. When you shift from I to your name, so Leah, it actually has a positive impact on self-regulation of thoughts, feelings, and behavior because you create distance from being the one experiencing to the one who's witnessing. And this allows you to become more objective so you can access your mind a little bit better in order to reason through your anxiety. When you think in I statements, you disempower yourself. I'm never going to get this grade. I'm never going to get this done. And that results in feelings of anxiety. Alternatively, when you think, Leah, you've studied for days, there's a shift in our ability to think flexibly and open up to future possibilities. So try that one out. You may want to say it in your head. Otherwise, you're going to be going around maybe looking a little bit bizarre, but it, it really can work when you call yourself by the first name. You don't talk to yourself? I do, I do. <laughs> in public, I try to talk to myself in my head. Yeah, your inner voice. Actually, I always tell people, it's a very high level metacognitive skill when you're talking to yourself. You're coaching yourself through things. So it's actually a great skill. It's just we don't necessarily wanna be walking around in public out loud talking to ourselves that way. Yeah, I mean, you but... can if you want to, Heather. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, Leah says it's okay that you can do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll try that out on a, our, our walk later. <laughs> okay, watch out for what ifs. Our brain loves this one. 
Our brain will attempt to answer any question we ask it. If you ask it a negative question, it'll offer a negative answer. You know, that's anxiety triggering because our brain wants to avoid struggle, difficulty, hard things. Like, what if I'll fail? What if it'll be difficult? What if it takes a long time? Now, another option is converting questions into statements, similar to the one before. I may fail, but I'll grow. I signed up for difficult. It will be a fun process. So when you change what if questions to statements, again, the entire energy shifts. Yeah, it's amazing how much energy can be shifted by simple changes in your language. That's why it's so important to be aware of your language. Now, the last thing about language is we mentioned this earlier. Sometimes reframing anxiety as something like excitement can be helpful. So there are times when we can use the anxiety that we feel as fuel. And by relabeling it as excitement, it can actually help our performance. So remember, anxiety is not bad. We all need certain levels of it. It's actually what we make anxiety mean that can become the problem. If we let it be in the driver's seat, that's when we need to be cautious because anxiety should never be driving. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about what we can do for the heart and soul when it comes to anxiety. One of the best ways to build resilience is actually through connection. Connection also helps us deal with anxiety. So, and it connects back to, and this is why we say that, you know, the body, the mind, the heart and soul are all connected because as part of the stress response, there's neurohormone oxytocin is released. And that is a hormone that actually motivates you to seek support and connection. So it makes you crave contact with friends and family. So when you're feeling anxious and you're in the stress state, there often is a great desire to seek out support. And it's really your biological stress response is pushing you to tell somebody about how you feel instead of keeping it all inside. So it's really helpful to connect with somebody. Now, sometimes you just want to talk. Sometimes you just want to have somebody with you, like just being beside you, just being present, letting you know that you're not alone. Sometimes it's helpful if the person that you connect with will help you do things, what we call co-regulation. So they may help you do some deep breathing, or they may help you with some movement or go, um, you know, walk with you through some type of relaxation. But it's always best to tell people what it is you need. Or if you're the supporting person, then you can ask the person, what do you need from me right now? Even better if you've talked about it ahead of time, what would be the most helpful thing if you see me going into a state of anxiety, you can just do this for me. This is what I find most helpful. Okay, so those are some of the ways that you can deal with anxiety. I think the key takeaways are, we don't wanna fight it, we want to befriend it. We also wanna try to get into a relaxed body. We wanna play around with our thoughts and understand that the anxiety is stemming from our thoughts. And finally, we want to connect. This is such an important piece. That's right. So that's what we have for you today. So remember, connection is an important part of resilience. So we would love to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram at hl.lifecoaching. Come on over to our Facebook group, which is the Building Resilience Club. And we would love to hear from you. So send us an email if you have any questions, if you want to get some questions answered, if you want to hear us talk about a certain topic, then send us an email at info at hl-lifecoaching.com. Make a great week, everybody. Take care. Take care.